right, all right, here we go. It's episode 42 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. This is the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, Sleepy J underscore pregame. Got Mackenzie Rivers, NBA betting expert in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers. And you guys can always get us at pregame.com. All right, guys, here we go. NBA podcast. Mackenzie and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to talk a little bit about the Warriors going ahead making the finals. And we'll go ahead. We'll preview game number six between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. Mackenzie, let's go ahead. Let's start out here with the Warriors and Mavericks. That series is now wrapped up. Golden State getting a big win there at home to close out the series. I do want to ask you this question, Mackenzie, because this is kind of something that's been floating around. I'm seeing it on the news stations. I'm seeing it on social media. And the question is, are the Golden State Warriors a dynasty? There's no doubt about it. And I hear some of these conversations and it just boggles my mind. Let's just state the fact real quick. They won three NBA championships in four years. They made four finals in a row. And in fact, they did it again. They made five finals in a row. And if you're counting Clay Thompson, like some people do with LeBron James, they just look at, you know, not his teams, but him, what he did year after year. Clay Thompson just made his sixth NBA final in the last six NBA seasons he participated in. There is no West team that's beaten Clay Thompson in the last, I don't know, nine years. It's pretty, or eight years. It's, it's, I don't really see how you can't put them there with the other great teams. Uh, on Wikipedia, just went there to check. There's seven NBA dynasties since the 60s, and I think it's irrefutable that these are the seven dynasties and the Warriors take their place as the seventh. The 60s Celtics, the 80s Lakers, the 80s Celtics, they won three in seven years. You could argue that those were great teams and not necessarily a dynasty. Maybe that one I could I could see an argument for not being on this list. The 90s Bulls, just like the Warriors, six finals in eight years. They obviously are the best dynasty since the 60s Celtics because they won six. The Spurs, 1999 to 2014, they made seven finals. They won five championships. They're there, in my opinion, for sure. The 2000s Lakers, they won three in a row. I think that is the uh, that's the number one way to do it. If you want to take, if you want to be a dynasty, you can't be beaten for uh, a third of a decade. You're on the list. And then these Warriors, yeah, they never won three in a row, but three out of four and six finals in eight years. Inarguable to me that they are one of the great NBA dynasties in, in NBA history. Well, I wasn't around for some of those teams, obviously, but I'm, I I didn't hear you mention the 1970s. There's not a team anywhere in the 1970s that we can consider a dynasty? No, I don't think there is. The The Lakers come to mind. They won two, and they had a dynasty-like squad. They had Jerry West in his prime. They had Gail Goodrich. They had Elgin Baylor at the tail end of his prime, and they had Wilt Chamberlain as like a fourth option on their offense. So they maybe should have been a dynasty, but they won only two that decade. Kareem's Bucks made one championship, made another uh, finals appearance. But no, the 70s in the NBA – Maybe why it wasn't as popular as some of the later generations was the the decade of parity in the NBA. You know, it's funny how you you rattled off all those teams and I'm sitting here thinking about them. You know, even go back to the teams I wasn't around for, I, you know, I just know what those teams look like. And the amount of players that are just absolutely great. And it's it's funny, like, you know, LeBron is mentioned in so many categories, but this is one category that I don't think that anybody could actually place him in. Like, he's never been on a dynasty team. You know, does that surprise you? Do you think that there might still be some time left, you know, for Le- for LeBron to actually be part of a, a, a dynasty team? You're, you're pressing my buttons here. Let me let me be a hundred percent because uh, I've been arguing since college about how I don't think 
LeBron James's uh, motivation is to play great basketball. And I think that's why he has not been on a dynasty team. Like the best teams that he was on went seven against poor teams, against not that good against the Celtics where Rajon Rondo was their best player and Kevin Garnett was hurt. Even though they had all the talent, they never had these runs. I mean, the Warriors right now, they're fourth generation, their fourth iteration are 12 and four in the playoffs and a chance to improve on that. They obviously went 16 and one in the playoffs. Isaiah Thomas's Pistons did that another, not a dynasty, but someone that won two in a row. The Lakers went 15 and one, the Bulls, when they went 70 wins, they only lost twice in the playoffs. Those are accomplishments that no LeBron James team has ever even come close to. And that's because I think he plays so that he can be acclaimed as the best player rather than, I mean, you look at Steph Curry tonight, he had 15 points, but Klay Thompson had 30. That's what a dynasty looks like when it's not all about one guy. And when you kind of can go to the background and let others excel, that's how you tend to win game after game, season after season. The Warriors have at least one road win in 26 straight playoff series. That's incredible. But that's not even as incredible as their home record. 46-5 and in the Western Conference since their first finals run. 2014-15, 46-5 2014-15, and five straight up at home. Incredible. So with this Warriors team going to the finals now, you know it looked like they kind of just dismantled Dallas. Dallas gets one game from them. Do you feel like, like this was the most competitive Western Conference finals that was out there? Like, Do you think maybe Phoenix would have gave them a better run? Uh, Memphis gave them a good run. But were there any other teams in the West that you felt like, boy, we probably could have seen a better Western Conference final? I think only the Suns. Looking at my power ratings, yes, the Suns had an inexplicable game seven, lost the first half by 30, were never in it. But you look at the course of the season. I, let me let me say it like this. A healthy Suns team, I believe, gives this Warriors a run for their money. I don't think they were anything close to healthy. I think Chris Paul played probably his worst five games as a Sun, his last five games. I don't think it was a coincidence. So I think the Suns, And maybe they were always going to wear down because even against the Pelicans, they were starting to wear down. You could see it. So maybe any conference final, the Warriors would have been a a significant favorite in hindsight. We know that now. But I don't think the Grizzlies – I have the Grizzlies and the Mavs pretty equal. They're very different teams. I think the Mavs might be more built for success in the playoffs with, I mean, just Luka being a a year older than John Morant with a little more, I think, playoff experience, not even in the NBA, but – as a, as a young man, as a 17-year-old playing for Real Madrid, uh, you know, in the biggest games of that season in Europe. So I say really only the Suns were on the Warriors level this year. The Mavs and the Grizzlies would be the next tier down, and I think it's a pretty, pretty significant step. So with all that said, let's think about what we're going to look at going into the finals. Do you think now with the way that the Warriors kind of, let's just say they blew through the West, which I think that we would all agree that they kind of blew through the West, does that make them overvalued because the teams that they played, the the players that were you know, were old and tired, and there were injuries that the, you know the teams had to deal with as well? So, are you feeling like maybe Golden State, after we looked at everything that has happened, you know, might be a little bit overvalued going into the finals? I do. I do think there's a there's a significant chance of that. Although I'm I'm of two minds. Part of me says. Whoever they play, the Heat or the Celtics, the Warriors are going to have a huge advantage just knowing what the finals feels like. The fact that they've done it now, this is going to be their sixth time. So that's that's a you know a thumbs up arrow for the Warriors. But if you just look at their success in the playoffs, their 
nine and seven ATS. They started out three and zero, so they're only six and seven since. They haven't really blown the doors off, but they keep getting pricier and pricier. I mean, game one versus the Mavericks, they were five and a half point favorites. Yeah, they won. They won three in a row. They covered three in a row. But you look at the you know some of the metrics, and it was a lot closer than that. And now they were seven-point favorites going off in game five. So that's a point-and-a-half upgrade, really, off of just a couple of games. And that's the same thing we saw in the Nuggets series. It's the same thing we saw with the Grizzlies series. So there's a big appetite for the public to get involved with the Warriors, make, making me think there's probably going to be an opportunity to fade them, uh, even if they're deserved favorites in the finals. All right, so right now, let's just say they play Boston. What would the series price be if they play Boston? So we have this up. We have a couple of books putting this up. Warriors minus 130. They would have home court advantage. Celtics plus 110. Now we know that teams pretty much even, even with home court being maybe a half a point to a point less than it has been in the past. Maybe that's about as what we would expect if these were even teams. So I think the Celtics may be a little bit better, but then again, the Warriors do have all of the playoff finals experience. Celtics might have Eastern Conference finals experience. Warriors bring all of the finals experience to the table. So about even teams make sense to me. What do you think? I would say I think Boston might actually be overrated, and that was one of the reasons why I asked you about Golden State. Because when I look at Boston, I have to go back to there's no James Harden. There's no Chris Middleton. And you're playing a Miami team that's, I guess, a band of brothers that are all banged up. So I think that that Boston has had their favorable positions, you know, within the playoffs. So I wonder if both of these teams come in here with with the Warriors are going to be overrated and maybe Boston might be underrated. And if that's the case, then I feel like maybe I do have a little bit of value, you know, maybe betting against Boston. What about Miami? Because it seems like everybody's talking about Boston going. Like, we have to at least give a little respect here for Miami. They're not out yet. There's still a game six that has to be played. You know, would would the Warriors be like monster favorites over them? Because I feel like after Miami has gotten blown out, you know, the last couple of games that they've played Boston, what are we going to have to lay here with with Golden State if Miami, in fact, makes the finals? Warriors minus 280, Heat plus 240. Talk about buying and sell signs. There's a huge red blinking sell sign across the market on the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler's over-under has dropped five points since game three. And this potential series matchup, Warriors-Heat, particularly, I think this is a perfect example of the Heat being downgraded because it has nothing to do with the Celtics. In this scenario, the Celtics lose Game 6 and Game 7, but the Heat have been significantly downgraded in a potential matchup with the Warriors. So on Monday, the line put up was Warriors minus 200, Heat plus 175. They get, you know, they lose Game 5 by 13 points. They look pretty bad. Uh, Kyle Lowry and Max Drews combined to go 0 for 15 after a game. They just went 1 for 13. And the market said, okay, well, the Heat aren't good. The Heat do not have what we thought they had a few days ago because now the Warriors were minus 200. They're now minus 280 in a potential series matchup versus the Heat. All right, so let me keep throwing questions at you because I love the way that you're answering these. And this is one that, that I really wanted to ask you. When it comes to Golden State, the line right now, as you said, is minus 130 against Boston for the series. So Golden State has home court advantage here. If these teams are playing on a neutral court for seven games, are they, both of these teams exactly even in your power ratings? Yes. I, I gave the Warriors a one-point bump because this is the NBA Finals and this is a ground that they know better than anybody else. And I had the Celtics one point better previously. 
So the series price comes out where the Warriors have home court, and this is exactly what we would expect if they were even teams, Warriors minus 130, and my power ratings agree with that. I think these are the two best teams in the NBA. I have both of them eight points better than an average team. Golden State is a scary team when it comes to home court. And it's one because they they play there so much. And and I talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. You know, that team likes to win at home. And I, I was totally against them in game four. I'm like, just do not touch them. They'll probably lose that game, go home, close it out. I don't think this team's afraid to lose games. Now, I don't believe they'll do that. They'll play any, try to be cute in, in the finals. But this team at home has been flawless. They haven't lost yet. They're 9-0 and in the playoffs. They've won seven out of nine games by nine points or more. You know, the fact that they do have home court advantage, does that give you a little hesitation to go ahead and really mess with Boston in the finals if they do, in fact, make it there? It does. It does. I uh, want to give credit to Amin El-Hassan, first person I heard bring this up, but 46-5 and five since this whole thing started after tonight's win straight up at home. That's pretty crazy. And, by the way, Chase Center – Opened in 2019 after they lost to the Raptors. They had to, you know, pick up their their feelings and, and go across the bay and start th- start life in San Francisco. Nine and one straight up in the playoffs. And that's if you count their one home game in the play-in tournament. So the NBA technically officially says that's not the playoffs. So, okay, nine and oh, and that's all from this year, straight up at home in San Francisco. They've never lost historically in the history of the Chase Center. The Warriors have never lost and I wouldn't uh I wouldn't be eager to bet on a brand new Jason Tatum led Celtics team. We're presuming that it's the Celtics who you know, they're going to take they've they've taken a few deep breath sighs of reliefs in these playoffs we've seen. They they swept the Nets, they you know, beat Kevin Durant game 1, they looked like they were sleepwalking a little bit. In this series, they finally got game 7, they got past the Bucks. Game one, they actually decided, they made a, a concerted effort to rest Marcus Smart on his foot injury, and Al Horford wasn't available, so they kind of gave that one away. So especially in game one, I think the Warriors, uh, with that home court advantage, being extra loud, being the finals, and with the Celtics coming off a tough series and not having the experience, that that's, that's when I think uh, we'll see this effect be at its strongest. I'm not a big believer in Boston with game one. I, I, I mean, we, we've seen what they've done in game one. It hasn't been great, but that's really what would tip me towards the Warriors going ahead and, and taking down the NBA finals is Boston's road, Boston's home record. They've lost three home games and they got lucky, I think, against the Nets in game one where Jason Tatum made that last second layup that they could have lost four games at home. And, you know, it's the lapses, McKenzie. That's what worries me. You talked about, Golden State Warriors, and and we've seen the vintage Warriors break out, you know, a couple times on these podcasts, and we've seen that, and we've seen the lapses in Boston, and the fact that the Warriors have home court, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of of uh, maybe some serious negotiating or, or serious pushback from you, you know, to really get me off the Warriors, or at least you know limit the amount of money that I currently have on them, and plan on putting on them. But we're going to talk a lot about the finals, obviously, when we get there. The Warriors are there. We know that. Mackenzie and I will go ahead and we'll break down the finals. Uh, we'll probably do two good podcasts, two deep dives, you know, and get into everything. You know, we can talk about the player props, talk about everything that's going to get us all ready to go for the NBA finals. But, Mackenzie, uh, why don't we talk game six? Because, you know, it's, everybody seems like it's wrapped up. And Boston's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Now, this line is 
this line's is it getting out of control right now at eight and a half, or you know, do you feel that there are justifiable reasons that the line has gone up from where it was at in the last game to where it's at now? A couple things are going on here. One, the Heat continue to put their entire roster on the questionable injury report. Tyler Hero is probably the one guy that I would expect not to play, but how good are they? Would Kyle Lowry be playing if this was any other time of the season? I mean, he's shooting like 20% the past month. He's won, he's made one shot the last two games. And they're just relying on guys that I don't think are, uh, you know, reliable. And if Jimmy Butler, he shot 18 times, made four shots. If he's not that guy, the Heat are become very, very thin offensively. So I think the down arrow with the Heat, Jimmy Butler not looking good, especially, is real. The other thing is spreads aren't mattering right now in the playoffs. Spreads have mattered in three out of the last 36 NBA playoff games. We've been talking about this as kind of gaining momentum as another, you know, Warriors up 20 early in this game, in in game five that just wrapped up. The margins and the effect of making and missing your shots where uh, the Warriors had a layup line. Whenever the Mavericks were missing their shots, the Warriors had a layup line the other way. So it wasn't just the variance of the Mavericks offense going up and down, but that was directly correlated to the Warriors offense going up and down, as Steve Steve Kerr has talked many times. And I've been on this all year. I like to bet favorites because I don't think as the NBA changes, we're getting these tight buzzer beater type games as often. And uh, I didn't expect it to be this extreme where three spreads mattered out of the last 36 games, but this is the direction the NBA has been heading in a long time. You got to understand that if you're betting the NBA. I feel like these were some of the worst conference finals I've seen in a long time just because it's been blowout after blowout. And it's not like it's like a third quarter blow. It's like happening in the first quarter to where, you know, you have a team like Boston that's going out there and they're they're up 20. It's like, well, good luck, dude, because this game's over because it's not like you have the Warriors on the other side. Now, look, if Boston jumps out to an 18-point lead, is it going to be hard for Golden State to come back? Yeah. Can they do it? Sure. And I and I also think vice versa. You know, if, if Golden State were to – were to jump out to a monster leave. Boston is a team that could probably come back, but it's just some of these games have just been unwatchable because they're just jumping out to these monster leads. And I don't necessarily know what it is, but, um, you know, Miami in the last game, I mean, they couldn't make a bucket. I mean, we're, I was watching a game. I don't know if it was game four or game five. Miami had one point on the board with like four minutes or something like that left on the clock. And I'm like, this game's over. There's no sense even to watch this one. Hopefully they'll show up, though, McKenzie. So let's talk game six. You have a best bet. I have a best bet. I also have a bet that I'm also going to make. It's going to be a quarter bet here, and I'd like to get your opinion on this one first. So I'm thinking I'm going to take Miami for the first quarter, and I could get that at plus 170. You can get plus two and a half if you want, but I'm going to take the plus 170 here. I think this number is about as jacked up as high as it could possibly be, and Miami knows they cannot start out the way that they started out last game. Defensively, they have to do a better job. Offensively, they have to do a better job. I think they have to get guys involved that are not Kyle Lowry, not Max Drews, out there shooting the ball, going 0 for 7, 1 for 7. Like They need to get the ball to the rack. They need to stop shooting threes. They need to get it in Butler's hands. They need to get it in Adebayo's hands. And I think if they just slow this game down as much as possible, that there's a chance that they can't take the first quarter And one of the reasons why I like this more than anything, as I mentioned before, Boston has had these weird lapses, and they've had lapses at home. And will Boston come in? Because right now, they're the flavor of the week, right? Like, everybody's picking Boston. Like, the series is over come tonight. 
So maybe Boston comes in here a little bit fat and happy. And maybe they say, you know what? We don't need to go gangbusters right out of the gate. Maybe they just come out. They try to ease themselves in so they don't get too emotional, so they don't drop down. I think that that gives Miami a little bit of an advantage maybe in the first quarter. So it's it's going to be a small bet here. I like this one. I like Miami to go ahead and win the first quarter, but it's the plus 170, McKenzie, that's getting me more than anything. It's not like Miami hasn't gone on the road here in Boston, and it's not like they haven't won a first quarter. So I have a pretty strong feeling that, that I might actually cash this ticket, but the plus 170 is really getting me. Not sure what you think about that, but that's what I'm going to go ahead and do for uh, my first quarter bet. You mentioned the Celtics kind of easing their way in. That's exactly how I felt game five of the last series when the Bucs uh, kind of got out to a 10-point lead and Celtics eased their way in, ended up winning uh, or leading most of that game, gave it away in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I, I think that's exactly, I think you hit it, the nail on the head where they're at home. They now have a 90% chance to advance to the finals for the first time in this iteration. According to Vegas, those are the odds. And they know that they have this team uh, kind of figured out. So I think they are careful uh, to start the game. And plus 170 is pretty ju- is pretty juicy. But considering that I think this is going to be a lower scoring start to the game, but I don't, I don't mind the plus two and a half either. Could easily, in my mind, be 20 to 20 or something like that coming out of the first period. You know, one thing we didn't mention that involves Miami that I think is hurting them, Tyra the Hero might not play in this game. And, you know, he's a big part of that team. We know that he's sixth man of the year. Uh, he can go out there, he can shoot, but he also opens up that offense, I believe, for Miami. Without him on the floor in the last two games, McKenzie, 82 and 80 points. There's no way that Miami can go ahead and do that. They have to do something different. And I believe that they're going to look to Jimmy Butler, which I'll go ahead and give my best bet. And I know he hasn't been healthy, but I think we can arguably go ahead and put a couple guys on the playoff pedestal for top performers in the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler's got to be on that list. He hasn't looked good the last couple games. He ends up leaving a couple games back, has a knee inflammation, comes back, and he didn't have a great game. But what I want from him more than anything is volume. And I think that you would agree Jimmy Butler's one of the grittiest players in the league. He's not going to go out here and, and shoot, you know, two for nine and go and, and leave this game with 11 points. It's, it's just not going to happen. I like his points over 21 and a half because I think Jimmy Butler's the type of player that's going to go out on his shield. He might go for 30. He might go for 40. And look, the Heat might lose, but he's going to go out there and he's going to give everything that he has because that's just the way that Jimmy Butler is. Hurt or not, he's going to give everything that he has. Now, this number, Mackenzie, correct me if I'm wrong, but like this thing was at like 26 a couple times in the Philly series. It might have even been 26 in this series. I know it's dropped down you know, recently because of the injury, but this seems like a pretty significant drop for a game where if Hero's not out there, you have to go to your number one player. You can't go to Struess, a guy who hasn't made a bucket in the game, uh, Kyle Lowry. Like, it just seems like it's just way too low. It's just over-adjusting, in my opinion. So I, I love this one. So I'm going to make that my best bet. Jimmy Butler over 21 and a half. Not sure what you think about that one, but good luck trying to talk me out of that one. No, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'll go over his his points prop. So in the regular season, he was just a different player. He scored 21 points per game, and that's usually where his prop was set at. But before game three of these playoffs, Jimmy Butler was scoring 30 points a game, and the market really didn't know what to do with it. They kept... You know, in round one, it was 23 and a half most games. It was up to 25 and a half. And you mentioned it. Uh, it hit that peak of 26 and a half as recently as game three. 
before you know he missed the second half of that game. And it's ticked down each game, but it's ticked down much more after his last four for 18 performance. I don't think that exact is, is exactly I don't think that actually makes sense. So it went to 26 and a half game three. He missed game, he missed the second half of the game. Game four was 25 and a half. I bet it again. I'm like, that's too low. He might not play that many minutes. He might be hurt. A lot of different reasons why the 25 and a half was too high, in my opinion. And then it goes to 24 and a half. RJ Bell had this on straight out of Vegas. Shout out. Easy winner for him. He goes for four for 18 in game five. It goes from 24 and a half. All right, he missed it, but he had the volume. Unlike games three and four. Game five, he actually had the volume to get to that, close to that number. But he missed it. He went four for 18. He had another bad game. Now game six, it's 21 and a half. So tick down a point, tick down a point, then it ticked down three points in a desperation game where I don't think Tyler Hero is going to be there. So I think they do have to go through Jimmy Butler early and often. So I, I have agreement. I was on the under early in the week, but there's always a right number. And I think that number has been passed to the downside. I think uh, 21 and a half the over is a good bet. Yeah, I think the number is right, McKenzie. And I think that the situation's right for to go ahead and make this, you know, make this wager right now. Uh, I'm glad you kind of agree with that one there as well. But your best bet, what are you looking at? Going back to the Tyler Hero likely being out, uh, Ramona Shelburne said this is something that would probably leave him sidelined for a month. Uh, If it wasn't the playoffs, he wouldn't even be questionable. I like the under in the game. Uh, Let me check that. I lean to the under in the game. I really like the first half under 103. And let's just start with why I lean to the under in the game. So, Tyler Hero is a twofer. There's two reasons why the total should go way down when he doesn't suit up. So the Heat are four points better on offense when he's out there versus when he's off the court. That's on the whole season. They're also one and a half points better on defense when Tyler Hero is not on the court. So that's a five and a half point adjustment towards the under when Tyler Hero is not there. I think if he suits up, I don't think he will, but he would play limited minutes. So that leads me to the under. But now, big picture, NBA, the later in the series, later in the playoffs, we like to play unders. Round three or later, games five or later, 58% of the time, these games go under. That's since 2003. However, game sixes and sevens, one team we know, every single game six and game seven, one team is facing elimination. They've been a lot tighter, a lot closer to the vest early in ball games. Generally, NBA historically, about 51% of the scoring has been in the first half versus the second half. That is completely flipped in these conference finals games. So 58% of the time, after round three, six and seven, game goes under. Two-thirds of the time, 67% of the time, the first half goes under, and by an average margin of six points. Makes a lot of sense to me because of this reason. In the second half, we saw this with Mavericks Warriors. There's going to be, well, we have no chance. Let's just go for it. Foul, three points. That's going to happen at some point, and that's built into the total for the game. However, in the first half, you can't win the game in the first half. You just got to make sure you can't lose it. What do you always hear on the broadcast? We just want to have, especially the road underdog, Heat are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. We just want a chance late in the ball game to steal a win. The Heat just want to be in this ball game. They're not going to be throwing haymakers until they get down 10 or 15, if that happens, and then the pace of the game might speed up. But in the first half, I expect them to go very methodical, 
play through Jimmy Butler. That means a lot of twos, a lot of foul shots where they can set up their defense on the other side, and just in general, a slower-paced game. And bonus, trends keep coming. The Celtics, by the way, just in general in the playoffs, have scored have combined scores of two points fewer in the games. And in eight Heat-Celtics games this season, the first half, remember, usually first halves outscore second halves, not in this series. Eight Heat-Celtics games this season, three points less scored in the first half, only 99 combined points in the first half when these two teams have faced this season. By the way, the last three games, five fewer points, only 92 points scored since this Jimmy Butler injury in the first half in these games. So love this bet. Going to try to make it two in a row with my best bets. I'm going to go under Celtics Heat 103 in the first half. I dig it. I love that one, actually. These two teams haven't put up a whole lot of points in the first halves in the last two games. They put up 90 and 79 in the last two. So uh, you're, you're going under 103. It's going to take a stretch, I think, for these two teams, especially in this type of game. Like, There's no way Miami wants to go out there, shoot a bunch of threes, and they, they definitely need to prevent Boston from doing that on their home court. So I think you'll see sticky defense here from both teams. A little bit slow. Just try to get in the groove of the game. So 103 seems like a like a really good bet to me. So my same approval on that. Hopefully we go ahead and we cash some tickets before we go ahead and get into the NBA Finals. If that does occur with Boston wrapping up the series there tonight, Mackenzie and I will be back Monday. And I'm guessing Mackenzie will probably do a pot again on Wednesday. So we'll give a good deep dive. We'll talk everything NBA Finals for you guys. But you guys know where to find us on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers. You guys can always get us at pregame.com. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast. That'll wrap up episode 42 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. <laughs>